1: absolutely phenomenal. Uh, So, I mean, this is the kind of thing that you want to turn
0: to Get Your Guide for. Whatever you're into, you'll find an experience you love. Discover and book your next unforgettable travel experience at GetYourGuide.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio automatically keeps out the sounds
2: you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music and lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear.
0: Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go.
2: AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation
0: when enabled. Today's episode is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech.
2: Welcome to Stuff from the Science Lab from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey guys, this is Alice Notemalik, the science editor at HowStuffWorks.com.
1: And this is Robert Lambs, science writer at HowStuffWorks.com. And uh, this podcast, we're talking about robots and whether and or
2: not they're alive.
1: Yeah. Big question: Are robots alive?
2: So you just got into this question when you wrote the similarly named article for Discovery News, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, we've been doing a, a bunch of these uh, big questions for Discovery News, um, and we've been doing some big questions for uh, How Stuff Works as well. Just you know, are robots alive? Um, um, you know. What are some other ones?
2: Strickland wrote about it, too.
1: Yeah, Strickland wrote one about uh, robot consciousness Mm -hmm. and all, and uh, it's a very related issue. We're not going to get as much into consciousness, but deal more with with definitions of life and how robots may or may not meet that criteria.
2: Yeah, so believe it or not, there are quite a few definitions of life out there. So let's get on to one of the more scientific definitions of life, Um, and that is one in which... Proteins and nucleic acids interact in ways that allow a structure to grow and reproduce.
1: Yeah, I think pretty obvious. Robots not going to meet that particular uh, criteria,
2: right? So, yeah,
1: that's that's a. It's a that, this is definitely um, describing life, uh, defining life as organic um, in nature. in a
2: very particular manner that applies to us, definitely. Right.
1: So it's so a no go on robots for that one. However, uh, there's another definition that life is a system that's capable of Darwinian evolution. All right, to meet this criteria, a robot would have to be able to reproduce and make more of itself. Right. And it would also need a source of variation. Mutation. So that, right, so that all of the new generation wouldn't be identical to the previous, and that all the siblings would be varied as well. So then natural selection could take place. Because when uh, well, obviously when humans reproduce, or, or, or any animal, uh, they're not creating exact... Um, you know, replicants of themselves—they're mm-hmm. not creating clones. They're creating uh, variations. And the whole idea is, you know, the whole idea is that is that we're going to create a lot of different variations on this uh, successful model, and uh, we'll see if an even more successful model will come out of it, or if there's a variation that'll be more adapt for the you know for the current situation.
2: Right. Mutation as the spice of life.
1: Exactly. So, um, yeah, can robots do that?
2: A couple of people have taken a shot at this, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, um, the more more than a couple, but there are a couple of, that are that are rather interesting to look at. There's a Cornell team that uh, built they built this robot, and these are robots. This particular robot, especially, is one that was designed only to replicate itself mm-hmm. in a very simple manner. So it's not it's not like it's doing other things and then on the side, it's making more of itself. Um, um, basically, this one is made up of a series of modular cubes, and each cube has all the like, you know, basically, a, it's kind of like a block robot. Like okay. Imagine little, little cubes and all, and the cubes contain the robotics, if you will. This
2: is no C3PO.
1: Right. And it sort of builds itself out of these blocks and then it can build another of itself out of other blocks. Okay. But the blocks are already built, but it's, it's so it's very rudimentary.
2: Right. So there's that one and there's uh, the English guys, right? Out of the University of Bath.
1: Yeah. What's it called?
2: RepRap. Which I like a lot. Uh, and that's short for Replicating Rapid Prototyper. So what this particular bot is concerned with is it prints out these thin layers of molten biodegradable plastic and those layers can then be used to create its own 3D parts.
1: It can also make sandals. They,
2: no way. Yeah,
1: yeah, they had like, it's, it's basically are you like, serious? Yeah, it's like, you know, it's like a, almost like a router, you know, it's just making little shapes.
2: Sandals so. for, for humans?
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: Uh, are you serious?
1: Yeah, it's like basically, it's <laughs> like I say, these are very simple robots. It's kind of, you know, it's just making, well so that to me that's the more remarkable thing
2: one. that it can make well anyway.
1: Yeah, like these are just the baby steps towards, you know, the sort of the very sci fi ideas that you might see in, say, Stanislaw Lim's The Invisible, or Philip K. Dick's Second Variety, you know, or um I guess Terminators where, yeah, Terminator, um that movie nine, you know, where you have robots that are making more of themselves. You know, this is this is how it begins, except hopefully it doesn't end quite as
2: Yeah, so one interesting question that came up when you were researching this was the question of whether computer viruses are alive.
1: Yeah, a lot of people make the argument that they are, um, including uh, Stephen Hawking, uh, I seem to remember. Yeah, in uh, one of those uh, documentaries that are getting so much media coverage right now on uh, Discovery Channel.
2: Oh, Into the Universe is a really good series. Yeah, you wrote for that.
1: Yeah, yeah, for the web presence for it. so, yeah, are computer viruses alive? Well, uh, one thing to keep in mind is that regular viruses are tricky enough to define. Um, depending on who you ask, they kind of occupy a gray area. Uh, the viruses, and again, these are organic viruses, lack like most of the internal structure and machinery uh, that characterize many definitions of life, including the biosynthetic machinery that is necessary for reproduction. In order for a virus to replicate, it has to you, infect a host cell.
2: But computer viruses, on the other hand, have this sort of partially automated ability to reproduce. But the virus itself, this is an important distinction, is not the agent of reproduction, the computer is.
1: Yeah, I ran across a, a great analogy for this, uh, in Eugene H. Spafford's Computer Viruses as Artificial Life. Okay. Which is a great read, you can find it online in PDF form. Yeah, he points out that the virus is not the agent of reproduction, the computer is. He said, it, so if, um, he he argues in this that, or he, he,
2: Makes the analogy. So,
1: uh, so yeah, he uh, he makes the analogy that if if that is life, then printed out blueprints of a for a Xerox machine are life. Okay, like a big stack of papers that have all the plans for the I'm Xerox not following. machine. following. Well, okay, so I I give the, these plans to you, right? Right. And then you could technically use those plans to make a Xerox machine, correct? Yes. And then you could take those plans, put them through the Xerox machine. And then you have a new copy and a replica of the. You have, then you have two stacks of Xerox plans, oh. Stack A and Stack B. I can. Then you could take Stack B and I could read them, build a Xerox machine, and then run Stack B through the Xerox, new Xerox machine and create Stack C.
2: Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah,
1: but you know, so but, but obviously the the stack of paper is just a stack of paper with information on them. So uh, so I found that particularly interesting. Of course, the other question would be, can a computer virus evolve? Um, that's another problem, according to Spafford. While a complex computer virus might be able to adapt and evolve, um, you know, he argues that this kind of virus would be larger than most uh, host programs and possibly larger than the host system as well. Um, viruses out there in, uh, on the Internet, they do evolve, but, gener- but in the sense that there's an author out there who is who tweaks them and, uh, and, and makes them adapt. Um, so that they can, you know, better screw with your browser.
2: Right, so then if you if you look at it that way, you wouldn't necessarily call a computer virus alive.
1: Right, because the agent of change here is, uh, you know, some guy in Korea on a PC.
2: What's up with putting Korea in there?
1: Well, I thought there, it seems like there was a big story where there were certain, there were like, uh, I mean, they're everywhere. I'm not saying that all computer, computer virus authors are in Korea, by any means.
2: So let's, uh, let's talk about the difference between automatons and actual robots.
1: Um, yeah, this is something important uh, to keep in mind and something that uh, uh, came out of a conversation I had with uh, uh, Idaho National Laboratory roboticist Derek Wadsworth. Um, he said that you, uh, on one hand you have an automaton, and this is like a mechanical manipulator on a vehicle assembly line. Right. right. Have
2: you seen some of the pictures of the robots on vehicle assembly lines? They're pretty amazing. Yeah,
1: I've not only seen pictures, I've seen moving pictures of them.
2: Excellent. Yeah.
1: I, it seems like they used to show them on Sesame Street, didn't they?
2: I've never seen that.
1: You've never seen Sesame Street?
2: No, I've never seen oh, that okay. particular ro- part of Sesame Street. is a robot
1: version of Sesame Street. It's just, <laughs> it's just auto assembly line machines. Uh, um, so, okay, so they have the ability, these robot arms that are putting together cars, they have the ability to sense and act. Um, like a vehicle frame advances on a conveyor belt, the manipulator senses its presence and then installs a windshield. Yep. A true robot applies an, an extra step in this process and that's reason. Right. right. It analyzes the sense data and then acts based on its computations.
2: And the cool thing is that as humans, we have those capabilities. So what, in everything we do, we're constantly processing our environment. We're, you know, smelling what's cooking. We're, uh, analyzing, um, what that smell means to us and then we're producing an action you know we're going to the kitchen to Mm -hmm. you know sniff out an extra donut that somebody left in the break room yeah
1: but that's one of the things that there's so many little bits of sense data that we absorb and we don't even realize we're absorbing them it just you know it's it's happening subconsciously and then we're you know we're computing that with like past life experiences you know some of which may you know a, a lot of data from the past, uh, et cetera, it gets it gets so complicated that we're not even aware of most of what's going on. so to
2: apply this to robots, according to Wadsworth, they're alive in the sense that, yes, some robots do in fact ha- have the abilities to sense, reason and act. So I'd say that I'd score one point for robots being alive.
1: Yeah, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Uh, in fact, one of the uh, the robots that you can make a, a case for being alive uh, actually lives in my house, and probably a lot of uh, a lot of listeners' houses.
2: I'm so jealous of this. I totally want a Roomba. Roomba Although yeah. I just got a really, really, really great vacuum, which I'm very excited about.
1: Yeah, but who's the who's the agent of vacuuming in in that scenario?
2: That is true. I it's, am the agent you, of vacuuming. Or those
1: kids you get those those kids to work vacuuming.
2: No way! I'm not letting them touch my new vacuum.
1: <laughs> well, see, the, that's the the great thing about the Roomba is the Roomba. Is, is vacuuming, obviously. And it's not just, it's easy if you, if you've never played with one of these before. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's great because it's not just bouncing off the walls and just randomly vacuuming the whole house, you know. It's, um, you know, it's actually measuring, you know, where it is. It's, it's reacting to the environment and, and like creating this map of, of where things are. Um,
2: so that the next time it comes into your kitchen, it remembers that, oh gosh, the, trash can is situated in the corner and i'm not going to go in this direction
1: uh well i'm not sure about the more advanced models i know the one we have it it's like it seems like e- each time you turn it on it's like it's it's a new learning experience for okay it. okay I but, see. but during that run it'll you know it'll get smarter as it goes um how does your cat feel about your roomba uh they don't get along all that well they don't hate each <laughs> other but they don't like to hang out um and uh you know and, and the, the roomba you know it's you still have to actually clean it and things like that. It's not, that's the thing, the problem. Some people get the Roomba and they're like, you're like, hooray, I never have to mess with the vacuum cleaner again. And that's wrong. You actually need to clean it out. Um, and, can uh,
2: I ask you a personal question? Go for it. How often do you vacuum?
1: Um,
2: or you or your partner?
1: Um, we turn on the Roomba, I don't know, maybe once a week. It depends on the, the room and the cat actually plays a, a big role in this because there's like one carpet that the, the cat likes to, uh, to roll around on. And so she sheds a lot on that carpet, so then the Roomba has to go in and suck up all the hair. So actually, the cat and the Roomba ha- really have a, a, a re- very close relationship in that sense. Um, the big thing to keep in mind with, with any Roomba, though, is don't let it taste human blood. Because then it's then it's all over. They become man killers, and they have to be put down. But, but anyway, back to the point.
2: Right, the uh, point of the story.
1: Is that uh, you can make a, a very good argument that the, the Roomba is alive. It's... Uh, it's uh, it gets to where it's expecting a wall. It's expecting some some sort of uh, obstacle in the way, and it uh, forms a map of the room so it doesn't need to run into those uh, objects anymore. So again, in the automaton robot division, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's all about defining what is a robot. And you know earlier we were talking about what is life. Uh, there are other uh, there are other roboticists who go as far as to say, hey, um, you know, technically our cars are robots. You know, they have all these different integrated uh, computer systems. I think upwards of like a dozen in some of the pricier automobiles.
2: Yeah, I don't know what you're driving, but my car does not qualify for that category. Really? Yeah. My well, CD player doesn't even work. It's busted.
1: But but here's the thing. Do you think your car is alive?
2: I don't really think of it as such, although I did give it a name.
1: Yeah. What did you name your car?
2: Um, Francis Ford. Oh,
1: see, see you, so your car, then in a sense, your car is more alive than my car, which has no name. Mine's just the car. I can't, I generally can't even remember what make and model it is. Much less. I know
2: what make and model it is. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mine?
2: Well, cause we used to park at that same Marta station.
1: Oh, did we? And you were coming in like messing with my car while I was gone? <laughs>
2: yeah, I was never messing with You're your car. You're going to keyed it. No, 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 oh. no. I would never do that. Well, um, not, not to your car at least.
1: But, uh, but it, but that actually underlines something important about the, the whole issue of like robots and whether they're alive or not. I mean, a lot of it comes down to, our it comes down to our perception a lot of the times you know it's like the, the more a robot seems to be alive the more you know it is alive at least to us but then that's that's kind of our failings as human like you draw anything that kind of looks like a uh, a smiley face and we instantly begin to uh to see it. yeah we anthropomorphize everything
2: that's true we do
1: so what uh what what would mean for, uh for robots if they reach the point where they are definitely alive
2: sure do they have rights
1: yeah do they have rights can they marry um, I read a an interesting uh, argument about whether or not it's a good idea to send them off into space because self-replicating intelligent robots would be great for exploring the universe you know just send them out let them harvest new resources as they go but is that ethical to send an army of of robots to another uh, you know to a distant exoplanet to eat it and make more of themselves
2: right we know already that robots get some of the um less attractive jobs let's say yeah
1: like at my house like i get to do the you know The cool things, like uh, move things into the attic. Right. I
2: assume you're not down on the floor sucking up cat hair.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing. It's like, we have a robot. We don't have to vacuum anymore. And, you know.
2: Or even in the case of the recent oil spill uh, that's messing with the Gulf Coast right now. Right. I mean, what's the first thing people say? Well, send in the robots to see if they can set off or turn off that massive leak. I'm kidding. I think robots should obviously do a lot of these crazy jobs, and we shouldn't put humans at risk. But they do get a lot of really bad jobs.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a great moment on uh, Futurama where... uh Bender the right have you ever watched Futurama? I have, yeah. Yeah. Well Bender the Robot. You know, he gets all up in arms when uh, somebody at a ball game uh like breaks uh, a beer bottle and like a little robot comes up and cleans it out cleans it up and he's and he makes a big uh outcry about, Oh, I look it's not not the human child who has to clean up the mess. <laughs> and It's true. We we put the robots to work. And if they end up with right someday, then you know, maybe they'll have to uh have to have some robotic affirmative action. I don't know. So let us know what you think. Do you think robots are alive? Do you think they will become alive?
2: Do you think Robert is a robot?
1: Cars? Did Allison key my car?
2: <laughs> yeah, if you have an opinion on any of these things, send us an email at sciencestuff at com.
1: So come check out the blog. Uh, you can access it off the homepage. Uh, we also have a Facebook account, uh, which you can just search for stuff from the Science Lab, and that will lead you right to it. And you can check us out on Twitter. We are Lab Stuff. And we're constantly updating that thing. So, Yeah, we're all over out. the web. We are tweeting.
2: Bringing you mad science. That's what we do. So thanks for listening, guys. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the
0: HowStuffWorks.com homepage.